from Dapper Devil Productions, this is BYOB News. I'm your host, Chris Barlow, and this has been a crazy busy week in the news. From uh, Michael Cohen, to North Korea, to the other nuclear thing going on, to I really just want to stop and say there are two nuclear things going on. Isn't that supposed to be the biggest news of the week? And no, we also have Michael Cohen, and that's just the beginning. We've got Jared Kushner, and we've got even more to talk about, including the roots of American rage here on a new episode of BYOB News. But first, as always, we'll check in on all this week's headlines in the booze room with our chief correspondent, Chris Barlow. With BYOB News in New York, I'm Chris Barlow. These are the top stories. President Trump is back in the U.S. after walking out of his summit with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un in what we can only assume was an attempt to prove that the president can still walk. Yes, President Trump walked out of his latest negotiations with Kim Jong-un in Vietnam the second he heard he was being sent to Vietnam. It's just a Pavlovian response at this point. Well, taking a look at the UK, Prime Minister Theresa May has scheduled a series of Brexit votes ahead of the looming March 29th deadline for her country to withdraw from the EU. Meanwhile, opposition leader Jeremy Corbyn announced that his Labour Party would be in favor of a second referendum in a shocking twist that still can't make Brexit sound interesting. Well, elsewhere overseas, tensions between nuclear-armed neighbors India and Pakistan are nearing an all-time high after a series of skirmishes around the disputed region of Kashmir raised the troubling possibility that we'll all be killed by something that isn't Donald Trump's fault. And speaking of President Trump, a new report from the New York Times claims that the president personally ordered his son-in-law Jared Kushner's security clearance, despite previously insisting that he hadn't been involved. The revelation that the president would lie about something so easily proved shocked political observers who had just awoken from a multi-year coma. And turning to Capitol Hill, the nation was riveted this week as Michael Cohen, a walking, talking meme for human misery, testified to Congress about his long relationship with President Trump. Cohen recounted threatening hundreds of people on behalf of Mr. Trump, but Republicans accused him of lying, claiming that no one in their right mind would ever be threatened by Michael Cohen. And finally, here in New York, Governor Andrew Cuomo is reportedly lobbying Jeff Bezos to undo his decision to undo his decision to build an Amazon campus in Long Island City. Experts say Cuomo's effort is a long shot, unless he has a gift receipt. For links to the real reporting on these stories and more, subscribe to the BYOB News letter by going to byobnews.wtf. That's byobnews.wtf. That's all the news from the booze room. Back to you, Chris. Thanks, Chris. And I'm here this week with my good friend, Anna O'Donohue. Hello, Anna. Welcome back. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. I'm delighted to have you, and I'm delighted that you brought some day drinking for us this week, uh, a really, really large bottle of rosé. Isn't it normal? No, I guess it is bigger than It is sitting next to the bottle of wine I brought, and it is uh, definitely, um, uh, let's just say, more magnum. More magnum. You're right. I'm not a visual person. I, I don't see size, you know? 
wow, uh, I've heard that before. But what I haven't heard before is the news article you brought this week to talk about. Uh, this is BYOB News, the show where we discuss the news the way it was meant to be discussed, drunk. Yeah! That's I'm... correct, correct. <laughs> Thank you. So tell me about the article you brought, Anna. Uh, I know this was a crazy fast news week, and I was trying to find something super current, but uh, I really just keep thinking about something I read in the Atlantic Monthly from January and February, which has kind of colored my perceptions of a lot of things I've seen since. It is by, I'm not going to pronounce his name right, Charles Duhigg? Duhigg. Thank you. Um, are you sure it's not Duhigg? No, I'm pretty sure it's Duhigg. Okay, sorry, Charles. Um, sorry, Charlie. So he wrote an article that is uh, titled slightly differently in different versions, but The Real Roots of American Rage, or Why is America So Angry? And what he's doing is kind of exploring how anger has been thought about and studied by scientists and sociologists historically and the way that that's changed. Apparently there was a big reckoning in the 1970s where this guy did a study in a little uh, town in Massachusetts where he thought he would only get a couple of responses, asking people about what made them angry, how they dealt with their anger, what it was like, and what the after effects of that anger were. And anger had historically been thought of as this thing that, like, it's bad, it's immature, it's a vestige of ancient times, good societies don't have it. And what he found was all these people were really angry and they were so happy to talk about it. They sent him thank you notes. They were like, no one ever asks about this. And it seemed like actually the, um, fruits of anger were really rich, that getting mad at people leads to change. Um, it, it basically changed our thinking about anger as a positive force that can be used for good. Sure, like the American Revolution, anger uh, freeing us from tyranny. Yeah, anger being something that we can mobilize to create useful change and actually reconciliation and catharsis and move us into a more connected, uh, like, better world. Sounds good. Sign me up. Yeah, sounds great. And suddenly everyone started to study anger. I'm going to get these numbers wrong, but there were like 25,000 studies in, in one year. And, Sounds um, right. Yeah, no, I think it's right. Um, and then, of course, it got co-opted and corrupted by evil people. Like, um, debt collectors started to use all this anger science to get people to pay their debts by trying to get them angry. And then deal... And, and it was it's a fascinating way to track, um, like, any anything... This is, I guess, mostly about how anger is a tool and how it can be used for both good and evil. And it's a beautifully nonpartisan article and that explores the weaponization of anger on the left and the right and the way that moral indignation works and how you get into this eventual cycle where the anger isn't about anything really substantive anymore. It's kind of a habit and it's also just you want to destroy the thing that made you angry even if it, originally you wanted to fix it and help it. By the end of this you really just want to burn it down. Um, so I think it's really interesting and I, I think more people should be reading it and thinking about how it applies to their own lives and reactions.
You're right. I do want to just burn it down most of the time. That's yeah. how, that's a pretty standard um, default mood. Like the mood ring today, the mood ring like in the 70s was like, oh, blue is your happy and, and orange is your anxious and red means you're infatuated. And now it's more like blue means you want to burn it all down at all times. Red means mm, you're horny and you want to burn it down at all times. Uh, it's basically the undercurrent of, I think, uh, all at least all discussion of uh, current events. Yeah, I mean, I felt like I was watching it play out in the Cohen hearings because, well, oh, we were... for sure. You're talking about just the, the Democrats and the Republicans almost speaking in two different, uh, as if they were in two different hearings. Well, it, absolutely. And what they weren't talking about was the actual content of the, except for... Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. Okay, there there is some context to be had here, but this is worth having because everybody likes to pile on the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez bandwagon right now to either be like, uh, uh, like, you know, she's a socialist revolutionary for me, or more likely, I'm sick of her, what is she doing for us? And I just want to pause for a second and say, she asked, I think, the only, like, really sharp, interesting line of questioning that felt like it was following up on something. She was the only one who actually responded to a thing that might... A hearing is to solicit testimony... And then interrogate it, and then get and further gather details. further information, was, not just ask about the things you already know well, about. Not use it as an as an opportunity to express your moral outrage and to try to tear the thing down because it's no longer on your side. It was just, but what she was doing was actually not being histrionic, not grandstanding because that's not what the moment called for. She was just doing her job, which is. It's bizarre that someone doing their job in government has become refreshing and a, a you know, heroic activity. Um, so aside from her, I just felt like I was watching this anger that has been so internalized and weaponized by all these forces and now is working within these people and they don't have a check on it. And the article also talks about how Cesar Chavez used it really, really effectively for social change, but then it started to get out of hand and he had to go on a hunger strike to like get people back on board. And I started thinking about like, what do we need to do? What do we all need to stop eating? Yeah. Yeah. Anger is... Uh, a very, very powerful political tool as we've all seen in the last three years. But what we've also seen is that it is something that you cannot control once you uh, fire it up. Except th- hopefully you can. And this I is mean, the, this is what the article is trying to look at. How do we, how do you get it back? So, uh, okay, thank you. Please, how do we? I would love to know. Well, uh, it... First, first of all, it's about um, some self-awareness of it, realizing that you've gotten on this crazy treadmill of, um, of that you've got g- given over to what they call the revenge impulse. Oh, so we're doomed is what you're saying. Well, this requires self-awareness to solve a from, little, a little from bit. everyone involved. Well, it requires or it requires some kind of um, some kind of heroic action by a leader who is able to re-steer and re-harness the anger so it can be uh an agent of positive social change, which is what the whole origin of this this area of thinking was in the 70s with the original study. Okay. I don't know if I explained it very well, so read it. It left me feeling um, hopeful and contextualized. Well, I typically replace hope with a delicious, refreshing midday rosé, but I would give, you know, the idea of hope uh, another look. It felt good back in the day. Maybe it's time to dust that off along with my vinyl. I I endorse that. I love vinyl and hope. 
two things that are out of style and seem obsolete, and yet somehow we keep clinging to them. I mean, some people collect. You know what else some people collect? Build-a-bears? Yes, actually, I used to as a child. That is a, a confessional detail. I guess I didn't like intentionally collect them, but I had multiple and I liked to collect the accessories because then you could dress it up. Wow, I can't believe I guessed that. Yeah, you're right. Did you, you know, we're gonna get to the lightning round later, but did you hear the amazing story uh, a couple months ago about Build-A-Bear's pay what you, uh, pay your age day? No. Yeah. Uh, it was a, a crisis. They had to close all the Build-A-Bears before the day was over because they were mobbed with people that were paying like, I think it was the year you were born. So they were paying like $19.96 or something like that oh, for the whole wow. thing. That's a bad business idea. I did just listen to a podcast about the woman who like turned around Build-A-Bear and she was very into cutting two cents off a skew. So I don't think she'd approve of that. Yeah, you know, nice idea though. But... I want to get back to the other thing Build-A-Bear reminds me of. Mm -hmm. Rage. Oh, yeah, sure. You know, much I think like I much like on the, the Pay Your Age Day, just, you know, unbridled rage crisis. Uh, and, you know, the roots of rage are really interesting because you talk about how Charles Duhigg talks about how uh, rage is a tool. And one place where we've seen that very recently is across the pond... Oh, yes, absolutely. Yes, in England, uh, Great Britain, the United Horrible. Kingdom, whatever that thing is that now wants us all to pay attention to it because of Brexit. Brexit. Chris, you seem pretty mad about this. About Brexit? Yeah. There was the delayed thunder of Brexit. Oh my god, I guess I saw the lightning first. Yeah, you know, you know, the lightning does travel faster than the thunder. And I think there's actually a funny thing. I think uh, with Brexit, the hard date is March 29th. It's around the corner. And uh, I think people are finally hearing the thunder after seeing the lightning when they voted on it. Mm. Because now the wheels are in motion to potentially delay Brexit. Yeah, I have not been following this, I'm sure, as clearly and cleanly as you, but it seems like there's two options, right? Either there's to, like, to approve Theresa May's amended idea or to re-vote on it and say it, does, it isn't happening. I'm so glad you asked. Why don't you have a sip of the wine I brought? It's a delicious Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand. I love a good New Zealand soft blanc. Is this a, you know, wine so white situation? Yeah, you know, we are a bunch of white people drinking some real white wine. I don't know how I feel, but I'll And talking it. about one of the only countries that feels whiter than us uh, politically, <laughs> and that would be Great Britain. Mm. So here's what's been going on with Brexit. Thunder sound. There it is. Uh, Theresa May has come to Parliament and uh, laid out a few dates that might set up what's happening next. And uh, for some context, Please. this all has to do with the sticking point of Brexit politically and, and kind of just logistically, and that's Ireland. Do you know what's going on with Ireland? I mean, ish, but I, I bet you know more, so fill me in. It is my people. I feel bad. Uh, you know, I just wanted to check in and then embarrass you in front of your people. Sorry. Uh, what's happening essentially is uh, a thing they're calling the Irish backstop. And the problem is that Northern Ireland is part of the UK, but the rest of Ireland is the Republic of Ireland, and that is part of the EU. And if you can remember, like, way back to the 90s or earlier, there used to be a hard border between Northern Ireland and Ireland. Was there a wall? There were kind of walls! Whoa. And And you know what happened? People blew them up. 
what, and you shot mean, at You them. mean that walls aren't a permanent it solution? It was kind of a troubling time. Oh, goodness gracious. That they conveniently referred to as the Troubles. <laughs> and so in Ireland, uh, uh, people are like, a hell fucking no wall. Like here we're like, no wall. And there they're like, no fucking no wall. We will fucking shoot you if you try to build another wall. They'd probably say feckin' though. Yeah, you're correct. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I wasn't even going to try the accent because like... You kind of did though. Okay, I kind of did. And I got it wrong. So, the wall is never going to happen there. And that creates an issue with, you know, the whole reason they're leaving the EU, which is to get out of the EU's trade requirements. And just like this siren passing by in the distance, Brexit is coming crashing down upon them because March 29th is around the corner and nobody can figure out what the fuck do we do if there's supposed to be a border to go through people's trade and there can't be a border in Ireland. Thank you, ambulance. That was very timely. Uh, that was a real sound thing that happened, everyone. Just letting you know, this is authentic. And the thing is, if the microphone didn't pick that up, then I'm going to have to add in a fake one. But either way, it'll feel really real. <laughs> so that's that's the problem in a nutshell. There can't be a border there. And so Theresa May's deal, the one that's about to be voted on, has a contingency that they call the Irish backstop. Right. Which sounds like something that you'd ask uh, about on Grinder. But the Irish backstop basically says, okay, you know what? But we'll get most of the UK out of the customs, uh, the open free trade zone, uh, but Ireland will still basically be in it, and we'll do the inspections between Northern Ireland and the rest of the United Kingdom. And so the you know the hardline Brexit people are like, that's not Brexit. You're leaving behind part of the United Kingdom and essentially ceding it to the EU, which means down the road, why doesn't it just become part of Ireland anyway? So. Instead, they're like, we want to get everybody out. And then the Irish, who are part of the coalition holding up Theresa May, are like, no, we can't have a wall. This is the thing that they want to delay Brexit to solve. Wow. But, but inherently, it is unsolvable. There can be no border, and they do not want to leave Northern Ireland behind. So how do you leave the customs union? The only remaining thing to do is just don't leave the customs union, but then it's not really Brexit according to the Brexiteers. Do you ever feel like basically the world, becoming an adult is just reckoning with the fact that there are so many unsolvable problems? Like why doesn't Theresa May just admit we can't solve this, we need to scrap this and have a, a grown-up conversation about what our expectations are here? Because truly, we're attacking a brick wall with a spoon. It's not going to work. I mean, yeah, it's sad. It's all sad. It doesn't make me angry. It seems to make you a little fired up. It actually just gets me really excited, and oh. I like this Sauvignon Blanc. It's tasty. Okay. It's, sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between rage and excitement, which is also something in my article it talks about in the brain. When you look at people's brains when they're angry, it's actually a lot of the same... Uh, effects and a lot of the same hormones as when they're happy which isn't that fascinating that is fascinating yeah and that really i think explains how people can get whipped up into a frenzy over something that they don't really understand or really care about yes. actually on an intellectual level it just feels so good oh yeah uh and you know what else feels good tell me facts and knowing the details. So I'll give you those details we talked about, the votes that will determine what's happening next in Brexit, and then stay tuned because we are about to play our drinking game. Ooh. Ooh. So first up, first up, March 12th. March 12th, that's the day Parliament is going to vote on the Theresa May deal with the Irish backstop that everybody hates and is almost definitely going to fail. 
So she's already said that on March 13th, when that fails, they will vote on whether they should just crash out of the EU hard Brexit, no deal. That is definitely going to fail, which will then lead to a third vote on giving her the authority to ask the EU for more time, which then the EU would vote on on March 21st, just eight days before the Brexit deadline, though it, it seems like the EU would approve uh, that, because at this point the EU's the EU is in a position of saying, we've told you the parameters that you can leave under, and you can try to negotiate, but we aren't going to change our mind about the parameters, so all we're really doing is waiting for you to come around and offer us something that fits within the parameters. Isn't it funny that the way you're describing this, it's Theresa May, who's a person, having a conversation with the EU. Which is exactly why people you wanted know? to leave the EU, because they felt like there is this name, I am, listen, not here to defend the EU, because it is this, like, nameless, faceless entity. It's run by, like, both the European Council and the European Commission and the European Parliament, and there's a European President and a European Prime Minister, and there are all of these different people, and nobody knows who is the face of the EU? It's not like Theresa May, where we look at the British government, we go, there's the face of the British government. Or not just, not even the face, but the actual like, agency creating entity. Who is making the calls? Yeah. There it's, is, you know, you, you could ask somebody like, who is Secretary General of the UN? And they'd be like, Kofi Annan. And they'd be really wrong because it's not him anymore. But they'd have a name. Whereas if you were like, you know, who's in charge of the EU? They'd be like, um, Angela Merkel. Yeah, isn't that odd? I mean, honestly, people talk about Angela Merkel as being like basically in charge of Europe. But she's not. There is somebody whose job it is is to be in charge of the EU. It's like Donald Tusk or one of those people. You know so many names. I'm really I just, impressed. I, I know all the best names. Well, you knew uh, Charles Duhigg when I truly thought it was Duhigg. Like, Duhigg. Yeah. But, you know... There is more to Brexit than just salacious names, exciting headlines. There's also economic consequences, including the wine industry. Oh! I know. So, you know, why everyone's scared of a hard Brexit is a hard Brexit would leave no trade deals in place, which would screw up everything, every right. industry. I was it reading would, about It would this. literally screw up the ability for planes from the UK to fly to the EU and vice versa. And no one's going to be able to get uh, any fresh fruit, apparently. Oh, because yeah. there are so many things that aren't grown. In the UK. Yeah. And if they don't have individual import agreements with all of these different countries, they're not going to get anything. So cooking is going to have to change radically to the like three local ingredients that are actually grown there, which I think oh, is fascinating. Oh my god. They're going to basically be eating like peat moss and uh, like haggis. And even more potatoes than already. Oh my God. Yeah, it's terrible. This is going to be a dark time there, and it's going to be especially dark if they don't have enough wine, which is why this week's drinking game we're calling <clears throat> Go Wine About It, Your Majesty. Oh my God. This time, I'm going to be talking to you about a new report from the WSTA. That's the Wine and Spirit Trade Association. According to the WSTA, a no-deal Brexit could cost the wine industry 70 million pounds, which must be like, I don't know, $40? I think the pound is still worth something. So, what does that mean in practical terms? I'm going to ask you about the real consequences that a hard Brexit could mean for the hard drinkers of this hard-headed country. Oh, I almost got that out. And if you get the questions right, I'll drink. And if you get the questions wrong, you'll drink. Oh man, I'm not going to know anything. I'm really excited. Are you ready to play? Okay. You just said no, and that means it's time for question one. 
By crashing out of the European Customs Union, the UK would generate how many additional customs forms just for wine? A. 6,000 B. 60,000 or C. 600,000. This is cumulatively, not like how many individual forms will I have to fill out to buy a bottle of oh, Rioja, okay. but, but cumulatively in like a year, how many additional forms would be generated? I mean, my jaw was dropping at those options. I, I, I saw, <laughs> I was like, whoa. <laughs> you were like, close that, that's lewd. Um, no, I think if it's cumulatively C, 600,000. That is correct, oh. I have to take a drink. Whew. A lot of forms, though. That's a lot of forms that they have to process. Yeah, and humans, has to read those. Exactly. But, you know, that could make uh, it hard to get your favorite wine in the UK. And that is a big deal for British wine drinkers because what percentage of the wine consumed in the UK is currently imported from the European Union? Oh. Uh, is it A, 25%, B, 55%, or C, 75%? Uh, I've been to I've been to England and French wine is a big deal. I'm gonna go with 75 percent. Ah, no! I know, tempting. But you know, think about it. They also have their tendrils in, in every other great wine-producing region in the world. They created uh, South Africa. They created Australia. They created New Zealand. They can get they can get their Commonwealth wines. Oh, I see. All you right, know, fair, fair. Yeah, they're not gonna be that desperate. But also, what's life without a good Bordeaux? True. Well, it's life with just a meritage, I guess, but that's besides the point, because we have another question for you. Question three. The WSTA estimates that it would take how many new full-time wine inspectors to process the hundreds of thousands of forms generated each year by a hard Brexit? So this would be new full-time wine inspectors. Is it A, two, just for these forms? B, 12, just for these forms? Or C, 200 just to process all these forms. Oh my god. I 200 seems too many. 12. That is correct. Yes! I drink that time and you did pretty well there. Thank you. Uh, for context though, that entire agency currently only has six full-time employees. No, but so I that mean, would be a 200% increase in their headcount. And also just the idea that your entire job, your entire full-time job would be processing customs forms. That's a nightmare. Yeah, and that's literally what they're staring down in the UK. Who's they're... gonna take those jobs? <sighs> it's Kafka uh, You know, it's funny because they said, we wanna bring these jobs back to the UK, stop this unfettered immigration, and guess what? They're getting all those jobs and more, and that means we're all winners, but they're losers here on our drinking game, which we were calling um, go whine about it, your majesty. Go whine about it, your, there we go. Oh wow, the, your majesty will love that transition. That's about as uh, coordinated as Brexit. Oof. Yeah, sad. Yeah. Well, after this, we're going to hear a word from our sponsors and then we'll be back to play another game, the lightning round, which is what it sounds like. More after this. And we're back with BYOB News. I'm your host, Chris Barlow, with my good friend, Anna O'Donohue, and you are just in time for the lightning round. I realize that's an explosion, but, you know, everyone has a lightning round, so I thought what would make mine different? And what makes mine different is we have explosions. 
And so here's how the lightning round works. There's a lot of news in the week, and so Anna and I each have a list of stories, and we are each going to take turns telling each other the name of a story, and we each have, like, you know, 10 seconds to respond with our take on that week's news. And if we are drawing a blank, and we are like, I can't talk about this, we can skip it by blowing the story up. But then we have to drink. This is a lot. I know, it's an intense game here on the lightning round with explosions. Dear God. Again, I needed something to make this lightning round different from all the other lightning rounds. That's a lot of exploding. That don't have explosions. I know. You're better than all the rest. That's right. Thank you very much. But maybe you'll be great too, because you get to ask me the first topic for our lightning round. Oh boy. Okay. Uh, Is it time? Yes. Get ready. Go. Uh, Bernie raised so much money and has a rally in Brooklyn. Uh, of course he would have a rally in Brooklyn. That's where Bernie Sanders is going to raise even more money in so little time because people are just salivating to hit the, like, monthly donation button there, which is brilliant because that's how you really lay the groundwork for a campaign is you trick people into signing up for monthly donations, like it's uh, a Blue Apron or something, and then suddenly they have, like, Bernie baskets coming on their, their doorstep every week, and I bet they're happy for it. Uh, but that is how you build, like, a campaign strategy that could fund itself for, like, a year and a half, which is what we're talking about. Bernie Baskets is a great idea. Bernie Baskets. I talked for too long, so blow me up. I'm drinking. Okay, my turn to ask you one. My first one for you is, uh, Cuomo is apparently trying to woo Amazon back to New York City. I think that the strange ingratiation of these mafia politicians with these big corporations is the creepiest dating ritual since high school. It's really upsetting to me. There's no reason that Cuomo needs to woo Amazon back. Amazon is already here. There are already 5,000 jobs that Amazon has in New York. It'll just continue to grow them. This weird paranoia about getting Jeff Bezos mad at them. I hate it. I don't get it. I don't get it. I I think you completely got that right. Uh, So you get the good sound. But then I'm going to add on and say, I actually listened to the Brian Lair show this past week. That's on WNYC. And uh, Cuomo was on. He came on. Usually Fridays is the mayor. And the mayor was in Florida. So Cuomo came on to like piss all over the mayor's territory. It is. They like mark each other's spots. It's adorable. But Cuomo came on and he literally said, I don't expect Amazon to come back when I'm begging them to come back. But I'm defending New York's reputation with businesses. Yes, yes. They're afraid that this is some signal to big businesses that we don't want them and other people are going to be afraid. Like, we turn... I don't, I don't We turn understand. down the prom king I so no one else is going to ask us to the dance. It's, like, so What weird. other business holds a national free-for-all, like, contest, like, Willy Wonka style? To, I don't get it. Foxconn? And we, we both talk... Oh, man, now we have to talk about Foxconn and they pulled out of the thing in Wisconsin. That I can know. be That's your next thing for me. Foxconn! They pulled out of the thing in Wisconsin. Listen, not many people totally have the full picture on this Foxconn-Wisconsin thing, but Trump has talked about it, touting, you know, getting Chinese businesses to come to America. And uh, there is an amazing episode of the podcast, yes. Reply All, Listen about this. Listen to it. It's incredible. It's called Negative Mount Pleasant. It is mind-bending. And knowing the end of it, it makes it literally a Greek tragedy to listen to because the whole thing is people justifying and defending this massive corporate handout for a giant corporation whose, you know, ultimate goals don't really seem to make a lot of sense when you think about the fact that it's a small town in the middle of Wisconsin. And it's also just a micro evidence of the pettiest of fragile white male, like, 
monstrosity playing out in a in a town and then rippling into larger effects. It's just it's yes, great. It will radio. make your head explode. And the end of it all is Foxconn is still gonna build like a little thing there, but the like world changing, uh, economy changing factory that was gonna make L C D TVs for some reason, like that makes sense to make in America right now. That is never gonna happen. Never was never gonna was. happen. Doesn't make any sense. We both talked for too long about something we were right about, so we get the good sound, but we also get blown up. I'm so sorry, you have to drink. It's an efficient game here, and when we aren't efficient, we pay the consequences. So it's my turn to give you a story, my next story for you, the North Korea summit. Oh, God. Uh, like, not even a story. Do you want to skip it? I mean, uh, no, no, don't, don't blow me up. I'm just going to say that uh, I... It's it's Trump distracting us again with his uh, flirtations with dictators and uh, because he is upset about the Cohen hearings. But and this time, this season, the twist is he walked out. Well, good for him. He's showing his power. I mean, he's it's just such a like pageant. Yeah. And it's boring and it's dangerous. Yeah, and it could get us all blown up. Indeed. I know. Okay. Um, Glenn Close didn't win an Oscar, but she dressed like one. Wow. I think she always looks like an Oscar in my book. And I'm going to confess, I didn't watch the Oscars this year. I turned them on for like 10 minutes. And then I watched the Tina Fey thing on YouTube later. And that was it. Good night. Okay. Well, let me fill you in and let, and tell you that and, she... And blow me up. Thank blow you. Blow it up. I'm she was gay. the expected I winner. Watch. I failed. You, always. She was the expected winner. Um, and... It was a major upset, and she literally wore a dress that looked like an Oscar statue, which was just painful. And then Olivia Coleman, bless her, who did win. And I heard her speech, and it was amazing. Her. It was the best speech. But I just wonder if anyone has ever acknowledged it was like a, an, a, a, a notes app, like post to Glenn Close read aloud. It was amazing. Wow. Wow. Okay, now that I've confessed I didn't watch the Oscars, I can ask you about something that you probably didn't watch. The finale of The Masked Singer, only on Fox. I have literally no idea what that is. Is that about the Jim Carrey movie? Oh my god, I get to blow you up with knowledge about The Masked Singer! The Masked Singer is a television show, a reality competition that just wrapped up on the Fox network where, get this, you know your singing competitions where, you know, people you've never heard of, ordinary Joes, come on and they sing their hearts out. And they get good. discovered and they're amazing. Well, okay, imagine that. But what if instead it was like B-list celebrities we've forgotten about dressed in knockoff mascot costumes competing to uh, keep singing the next week so we don't discover that they're actually a B-list celebrity and instead keep speculating that there's an A-list celebrity because basically most of the show was the panel speculating that like the peacock was Neil Patrick Harris, and then the peacock turned out to be Joey Fatone. And just like different tiers, different tiers This there. is crazy. It is. It is the most bonkers show. I mean, it's really and it's been a sensation. It's been a idea hit. that takes it into the next level. Wow. Yeah, and so the winner was the monster, who kind of looked like a reject uh, Sully from uh, Monsters, Inc., like, if you, if you were at the costume shop where they didn't uh, have the actual official copyrighted costumes, instead they had, like, the, the Chinatown knockoff versions that's like, Monsters LLC. And, I haven't and, seen Monsters, Inc. Oh, well, man, this example is going really deep and nowhere I'm for you. I'm sorry, but listeners will probably understand it. But, you know, I love the knockoff film Monsters, LLC, with its starring furry monster, Sully, the pilot. Um... You know, it's a crossover with that Tom Hanks movie. Anyway, 
Uh, the mass Singer was a hit. I talked for too long, so I get exploded. But, but who won? Oh, um, the monster, who I want to say I was right all along for the two weeks I watched. The monster was T-Pain. I also don't know who that is. Oh, you know, auto-tune guy. They give hints each week, and his was like, I'm singing to because re- people think that I'm like a one-trick pony and I can't really sing, and I was like, it's T-Pain. Because T-Pain really can sing, but because he like popularized auto-tune, everyone thinks T-Pain can't sing. Okay, so he is a B-list who people thought was an A-list. Yeah. Good for but, him. But this is the kind of show where like somebody will get unmasked and the, the panel will be speculating like, oh my God, I think it's Miley Cyrus. And then they'll unmask it and the B is actually like, you know, um, Rummer Willis. Rumor Willis. Rumor. Rumor. Listen, okay. Listen, it's spelled Rummer. Duh, it's spelled Rummer. Duh, it's Rum. Okay, we need to move on. I'm sorry, I get blown up like four more times for that. That was a total failure of the lightning round with explosions. Um, whose turn is it? It's yours. That's right, it's mine. Um, this is mean. Jossie Smollett, discuss. Oh my god, no. Exploded. That was so triggering, my phone just responded to it, and it says, like, it's yours, right, it's fine, I'm near Jesse Smollett. I'm sure that that is, like, a a, a text message from a, a phone that actually got him caught by what the Chicago police. What you mean is that Siri just thought we were asking her something. About Jesse Smollett. Yeah, because Even she's Even really Siri has alert. an opinion, and I don't want to know it. Right, I don't want to know it. I think the lightning round is over. I think you're right. Wow, congratulations. We can blow that up now. And that means we can finally get distracted from the week's news with a segment that I guess is like, what am I being distracted by this week? You know, um, uh, my favorite things, a few of my um, thing of the week. Every podcast has this segment. So ours is called the one at the end of the podcast. Everyone has one. This is it. (laughs) What's your distraction of the week? Oh, gosh. You go first. Okay, sure. The new episode of Documentary Now. Do you know that show? I do. Uh, great show created by Fred Armisen and Seth Meyers. Seth Meyers, who is my, like, DILF crush uh, for all time. Uh, sorry, Stephen Colbert. It is Seth Meyers. It's just true. But the uh, Documentary Now, great parody series on IFC about uh, documentaries, parodying them. That's where we're at. That's how drunk I am right now. I have to break it down that detailed. And... It's hosted by Helen Mirren, which is just amazing. And it's in its third season, which means it's successful. So why haven't you watched it? But you, Anna, have. So this latest episode, what's it about? Uh, It is a brilliant... I don't even want to say parody because it's deep. No, it's a parody, but it's, it's a, a loving parody, loving parody yes. of the seminal. Uh, is I guess a mini documentary about the taping of the cast album recording of Company in the seventies, which features a like iconic moment of Elaine Stritch going through millions of takes of the Ladies Who Lunch and getting beaten down and then summoning her will and and transcending and it's it's all just like very beautiful and so uh this parody series creates a new show called co-op and it it, about life in the co-op it is so good i'm not describing it well because i like it too much oh no and and and, i mean it's also very niche because it is a direct send-up of like 
of a Sondheim musical. I mean, it's literally based on a documentary about a Sondheim musical, but all you have to love is like, uh, you know, that kind of modern American musical. Chris, question. And you will find something to love in this. Do you think people will enjoy this documentary without knowing the source material? I think people will find this documentary charming and baffling without the source material. I think that's right. Um, in, in a good way. Like, I think it's worth watching no matter what, because, uh, you know, when it gets to the end of a song and somebody asks, is there more cocaine? Uh, that you will find funny no matter what. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't understand why it's funny. Fucking hilarious. Yeah, okay, I think that's true. I think it has universal appeal, but it has niche, like, cult status. Yes, yes. Um, either way, that deeply distracted me. And here's the thing, Documentary Now is basically got a documentary for everybody. So if you don't fall in love with co-op, I promise you will fall in love with another one of their documentaries. Uh, there is a beautiful one that sends up the talking heads that is my favorite like, parody of all time. Wow, this is high praise. That, that's what I'm saying. Okay. So it's easy to get distracted when you've had too many glasses of rosé. You did get at, blown up a lot. I, I got blown up. That was the wrong green button. I got blown up. And that means it's been a great week here on BYOB News. As always, you can find out all the details about all the stories we talked about by subscribing to the BYOB News letter at byobnews.wtf. That is a URL. That's a real web address, byobnews.wtf. Don't you want to get your own .wtf right now? Blown up! Yeah, sorry. Yeah, uh, you know, we get blown up every week. And so you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, uh, you know, whatever the thing you're listening to us now is. You can uh, you can find us there. Or we will or we will burp at you in the middle of the sign-off because that's how real this show is. I want you to know this isn't just loose and, and uh, you know, a t- uh, an act or a tone. No, no, this is a disaster every week. And it's here for you just like the news. BYOB News. Thanks for coming, Anna. Sure, are you okay? I'm great. We made it through the news. Yay! That's how we succeed. Okay, excellent. And you can too. Here on BYOB News. BYOB News is a Dapper Devil production. This episode was written, directed, produced, and edited by Chris Barlow. Hey, that's me. You can find out more about the articles and stories we discussed by subscribing to the BYOB News Letter at byobnews.xyz. That's byobnews.xyz. Until then, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to leave us a review so everyone knows the only way to get your news is BYOB News.